Pee on every snap and have fun. And last, and most importantly, be physical. They gotta do something. They gotta do something. Put your shoes on tight. Welcome back to Hard Edge Football Podcast. This is Coach Rich Rodriguez, and joining me, of course, is my broadcast partner, Raquel. How you doing, Raquel? Not bad. How are you doing this week? I'm doing okay. We're licking our wounds a little bit off of a, a tough loss we had. Um, had some opportunities to win our fifth game, right? but it didn't happen, so we're going to learn from it and got a big one, our last home game. It's our seniors' last home game at ULM, and so it's going to be a big game for us this Saturday afternoon. That's right, and you know what? If you are still feeling down by the Saturday, you know what comes out this Friday evening is Taylor Swift's new album. So oh, get- well, that kind of reminded me. <laughs> I know you been talking about that. And, yes. Uh, you know, she's pretty talented. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so Saturday. Oh yeah, so the big reveal, huh? Taylor Swift's new album. I'll make sure I have to have to get one of those. So basically, <laughs> what it is is she re-recorded a lot of her old albums. So the album that she's releasing on Friday of her re-recording is the album that she released when I first moved to Arizona. So it's a big deal to me. <laughs> oh, I know. I know you're a big Taylor Swift fan. You know, for our listeners that do not know, I'm just going to break. Raquel can sing herself. <laughs> I remember, yeah, I remember at a recruiting, remember we had a recruiting dinner or recruiting thing at our house and, and, uh, you sang a song solo Yes, and it shocked, it even shocked shocked me because I had never seen you, seen you sing solo before. And I'm like, she's got skills and we didn't even know about it. It's a good week because we've got college football. We've got Taylor Swift. Swift. Yeah. What's even better than this? But what did you think of this past weekend? So ULMs were licking our wounds here, but with all the other college football stuff going on, what did you make of that? We had some big upsets like Michigan State. What else surprised you this past weekend? Well, there's going to have well, – I don't know if people realize. I mean, most people that follow closely college football, you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds. And, and uh, other than maybe Georgia, who's so dominant on defense this year, everybody has looked vulnerable – at some point of getting beat in Michigan, you know, Purdue has beaten top five teams more than anybody in the country. And they've got enough of an explosive offense that they have a chance. And so they got the big win. I think there's going to be a couple more upsets uh, coming, coming on the board. North Carolina had a huge win over Wake Forest in a, in a high scoring game. Didn't surprise a lot of people, but at the same time, you know, for, for Wake Forest, they've had, a, they're having a tremendous season, but, I think there's a few more upsets coming up, and there's going to be com- some every weekend where people think, I never saw that coming, and it's going to happen. Who would you have in your top four and then the first two out of the college football playoff? Well, obviously Georgia. I'd have Cincinnati in there too, just because if, if you listen to our last episode, I talked about you know Cincinnati's schedule obviously is not the same as playing in the SEC or Big Ten or something like that, but – you know, if you judge at Cincinnati, what they did against Georgia last year in the last game of last year in a bowl game, they had a chance to beat them and got beat in the last second and got most of those guys back. So I think Cincinnati, even though they've struggled against a few teams, they're still winning. I'd have them in the top four. I'd, I'd have Alabama, even though Alabama struggled a little bit with LSU. 
And then I, I would probably have Ohio State as the next best team. Mm-hmm. But if Oklahoma finishes undefeated, I think Oklahoma will make the playoff. And then what about your five and six? Would you have Oregon up there? I'd have Oregon uh, right there. I would have, I know there's a lot of, not controversy, but talk about Michigan being in front of Michigan State and Michigan State beat them. That's a good argument for Michigan State, you know, because Michigan State, head-to-head is supposed to mean something, right? That's why they have Oregon ahead of Ohio State, but yet they have Michigan ahead of Michigan State. So uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about it, but really it's going to sort itself out. Is because Michigan's got to play Ohio State. Michigan State's got big games left, and so I think in the next, you know, obviously in the next three weeks and the championship, you got to remember the championship game week. It'll sort out, and uh, I don't know if it'll be definitive for best teams in the country, but I think uh, there will be less argument than there is right now. How about Texas A and M? The only chance they can, they got to get a little bit uh, of help and be able to play Georgia in the championship game and somehow upset them. That, that, to me, is the only way that that's going to happen. And now A&M's got a big game this weekend in Oxford, Mississippi. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, there's, you know, Mississippi, uh, you know, two years ago when we were at, we played A&M. We was upset. We played them. We thought with a young team playing seven or eight true freshmen on offense, and we got beaten the last, uh, last couple of minutes by them. So all those kids are grown up now. They're all, you know, juniors and seniors and all that. So it would not shock me at all that Ole Miss will win that game in Oxford this weekend. And then what did you make of Kentucky losing this weekend? I was surprised they lost to Tennessee. What did you make of that? Uh, A little bit surprised. Kentucky is really good defensively, and everybody knew that coming in. Um, um, But they couldn't make mistakes offensively in all season they had, and they made a few mistakes offensively in this game. Tennessee's just explosive enough. Herndon Hooker at, at quarterback has given them a, bur- a boost. Uh, you know, Josh Heupel's done a great job. They spread you out with some unconventional uh, formations, like really wide splits, you know, cover the whole field. And they got a couple big plays. And, you know, that was a huge win. Tennessee's done an outstanding job. They were kind of nobody talking about them beginning of the year. They struggled a little bit. And they've kind of found their groove with uh, Hooker at tight end or at quarterback. And, and that's a big win for him. So I, I think Kentucky, you know, had to always be kind of not flawless offensively, but strong enough not to make a lot of mistakes. And they made a few and it cost them. We got a couple storylines coming on here, but what did you also make of Florida losing a pretty tough game to South Carolina and that upset on Saturday? Yeah, the Florida. That's you know they, they let a co- coach Mullen had to let let a couple coaches go, their defensive coordinator, or his line coach, and I know that was a tough move because th- those guys have been with him for a long time, and and uh, you know it's hard when you you know it's another topic we could talk about coaches, you know having to get let go, uh, you know before the season is out. But Florida's they're having their struggles, and they and they knew they lost all their skill guys or their top skill guys from last year, so that was going to be a a battle for them. And they're going to get everybody's best shot because people love to play Florida. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure he's going to be working like crazy uh, to try to pull out the next three games, which I think they'll win out and go to a good ball game and then, you know, fix his staff at the end, at the offseason. Arizona finally beat that 20-game losing streak. What did you make of Arizona finally being able to get that win this past weekend? Yeah, great for the – you got to feel great for the players. I mean, you know, some of those – it's been 700 and what? 50 days or something since they won. 30-something, yeah. Yeah, yeah so since they won their last game. And it, 
you know, even though you know Cal was down, I think they were up for they had forty two scholarship players or something when you uh, when you normally you're allowed eighty five. So they were going to be down, and it, but you know, irregardless, you know that, that so feels good. I mean, I'm sure they they wanted to get that off their back, so to speak. And I never watched the game, didn't even see the highlights or anything like that. But I under, understand why they why their coaches were so excited. It's uh, Coach Fish's first win. It's the first win for a lot of those guys in that program, and for those seniors that have been through that or juniors that have been through that long losing streak. At least they got to feel good for for a weekend. So I'm happy. I'm happy for those guys, especially the guys that some of the guys that we know, right? That we recruited to get there. That that are uh, upperclassmen or guys that uh, were real young guys when we left. Plus, for starting quarterback now, Will Plummer, who was roommates with yeah, Brett last year. Roommate. Yeah, exactly. He's a great guy. And he's a I, you know I I love him as a person. You know he's a tough, competitive guy. And from what I understood, he took a bunch of hits and he mm-hmm. was out a little bit in the game, come back in. And he's, he's, I'll tell you one thing, he's got the toughness. You know, that whole, that whole, uh, house that Rhett lived in was a bunch of tough guys. Nice right. guys. But you guys <laughs> wouldn't think like tough guys, but they were a, a bunch of quarterbacks and a tight end, whatever. But they have a bunch of, they're, they're all tough guys. So you briefly mentioned it a little bit ago, but what do you make of all the assistant coach changes or firings this season? I feel like we, the coaching cycle, everything is just happening so quickly. And then a lot of the assistants are being fired in the middle of the season more than usual. I feel like, what do you make of all of that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a little concerning that. It seems like there's more, like you said, more get happening with two to three to four games left. You're firing, you know, a coordinator or a couple. Of, in Nebraska's case, you're firing four guys, uh, and so it, it 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 and you start to wonder why now? Why don't you do it right after the last regular season game and disrupt it? So you know the timing of it to me is really strange. You know, you understand when you got to make a change in your program and all that, and if it's just a total disaster or something. A court, maybe a coordinator has to go earlier than that, but there's definitely a trend that's happening more and more. And there's being even less patience. You know, we all know that there used to be four or five years, sometimes six years to give a coach ability to uh, get his program where he wants it. Now, if it's not going in three years and sometimes in two years, mm-hmm. uh, they'll pull the plug. Typically the watch is, and we know from experience, if they get a new athletic director, right, and you're not the guy he hired, you know he's he's uh, a lot of times he wants to get his guy, so to speak. And they don't, uh, you know, if you if you've had a lot a whole lot of success, even if you've won a whole lot before, like Gary Patterson at TCU, right? But it's a different athletic director than one you've worked with or hired or hired you. You know, things could could be a little screwy. And while we've had several coaching changes and some firings, we've had some hirings. So what do you make of Texas Tech has hired Joey McGuire, who was previously at Baylor, a longtime high school coach in Texas, but now the Texas Tech head coach? What do you make of that hire? Yeah, I, I, I don't know him, but everybody that's worked with him raves about his personal skills, his ability to recruit and relate to players and uh and he knows Texas high school football. So it sounds like he's a great fit for them. What he's probably, what he has to do, I'm sure, which he'll be able to uh, financially is find him two really good coordinators, a really good offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator to handle the scheme part of it. And then he as a head coach can 
can conduct a, or kind of be the CEO of all the other stuff and take charge of the other stuff. But everybody that's, that's worked with him and, and talked about him thinks he, he can do a great job. And he's been a head coach, even though it was on a high school level, he's been a head coach. So he understands what it's, what it's like to run a program. And I'm sure he'll do a great job at, in uh, Lubbock, Texas. And we'll be right back after a short message from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by iPacket. iPacket takes the guesswork out of purchasing your next vehicle by putting all the important documentation in one place. Documents like the original window sticker, warranty information, new car brochure, and vehicle history report. You can even see how much the dealer spent reconditioning the vehicle. Ask your local dealer for an iPacket or visit iPacket.us to learn more. So some other news that's not necessarily in-season news, but there's been a lot of NCAA news this past week. One of them being there's potentially some NCAA restructuring going on. What do you make of that? And can you kind of explain that to us a little bit of what that potential restructuring could look like and what does it mean? Yeah, we saw this coming uh, for years now. There's there's so many uh, NCAA schools. They govern, you know, Division One, Division Two, One AA, Division Three, and other people didn't realize a lot of the committees that make the decisions for Division One schools uh, were filled with people from Division Three, Division Two, and different, and didn't have the same type of issues, but yet they were voting on the issues for Division One, and so there was enormous sense of frustration among all divisions saying this is not relative to us. We're a non-scholarship school or there's a non-scholarship school somewhere in Connecticut that's making decision on what should happen at uh, Ole Miss or something like that. And that's what's uh, uh, so frustrating. That's what the NSA realized has to get changed. And so now they're going to basically break it down by decision by division one, Division two, Division three, and so there won't be Division three schools making decisions on uh, Division one schools and and things like that. And even with that, you know, I read where there's even in just if you separate just the big schools, Division one from the rest, there's schools in Division one that have a hundred and seventy million dollar athletic budgets, and other schools in Division one have four million dollar athletic budgets. So there's a wide gap between even in its own division. Mm-hmm. But at least now those those division ones uh, can have their own set of, of, of governance and own set of rules and will make things get by last quicker. Because let's face it, Raquel, the NCAA is hanging on by a thread. Right. Because I wouldn't be totally shocked if the top 60 or 70 division one schools say, we're going to form our own governing body, get our own rules, and – share our own money and then go from there. I still think that's a possibility. So let's move on to our coaching tip of the week. What is your coaching tip this week? Well, I brought to mind, particularly like for our schedule here uh, in Monroe, we've got 11 straight games. We had an open day after our first week and then we play 11 straight. And so you got to wonder like, gee, where's that? That's a grind. I know we've had a, you know, there was one year at Arizona, we played 12 straight games without an open date. So I think, you know, as, as coaches in, in high school, you might have to play 13, 14 straight games, counting playoffs. So what do you do? Do you have the same schedule? I think you have to feel your team. For instance, this past weekend, I didn't think we had a whole lot of energy or juice at the game. 
It was a road game. We were coming off another long road trip. And the guys just seemed tired. Even though our practices were a little bit shorter, they just seemed tired. So um, what we talked about, okay, Sundays we normally just have a light practice anyway for an hour and a a light lift. All we did was we got to get our guys' energy back. And whether it's a whole lot you take off or not, mentally they're going to think, boy, I'm going to be fresher for this weekend. So we did nothing on Sunday other than meet, watch the film, get to corrections. We stretched them. Uh, for about 15 minutes and then let them go and then uh tuesday we normally go full pads we just went shoulder pads and we did a little less hitting uh, on wednesday and so we shortened things down a little bit to let our guys feel a little bit fresher because they are they do get a little tired not not only do they get tired physically but you can get tired mentally you know every week preparing on a game plan you still got your academics you know you're on the road you don't have a whole lot of time uh, you know, to rest, what have you, uh, as typical college students would do. Our guys can't do that. So uh, we gave them, we normally have our travel squad lift on Sunday and Tuesday. Uh, a couple day, a couple of weeks during the season, we give them Tuesday off. Well, this week we gave them Sunday and Tuesday off. Uh, so we really are doing all the things we can to make them at least mentally and physically feel fresher on Saturday, Saturday but you're still yet prepared to play a game. And how as a coach do you kind of detect when you think you need to encounter that? Just feeling your team and their energy level and their emotional state. I think you kind of watch you watch a little bit on how, you know, their effort. Now, normally you think your guys would play hard all the time. You know, and you have certain guys that that uh, maybe you always have to stay on about playing hard. But when you have like some of your guys that always play hard all the time, that are just high energy guys, and then and you see them – their their energy lacking a little bit, or maybe even a player two that they're not playing as fast as and they're always used always play fast, then it kind of includes like, hey, these guys never not go full speed all the time. So maybe there is something to uh the whole group being a little bit gassed or a little bit tired. And so that's that's usually how I judge it. Not just on you look at uh this this linebacker or this receiver, he never doesn't go full out and he looks like he's tired or got dead legs, so to speak. And so we'll, we'll, we'll break down the group because some guys that are extremely hard workers, whatever, they'll work themselves to getting tired, even though we don't, you know, I think conditioning is still a great factor for all, uh, for all the athletes uh, in football. Um, You can, you know, you you got some guys that'll work so hard, they will get a little bit tired and, and not even realize it. What is your coaching tip this week in regards to a little bit more schematic stuff? Yeah, here's something that we hadn't talked about a lot is uh, uh, special teams. Mm-hmm. And I always enjoyed getting part of special teams. I was a head coach. I always thought being involved with all the special teams as a head coach allowed me to stay in touch with the team, you know, everybody on the team, offense, defense, and specialists. And there's a certain philosophy you hear it all the time in high school and college and even in the pros that hey your best guys should be on your special teams like on your punt team you should have your best 11 athletes or you know always put your best players on there and I understand why you're doing it because you don't want to sacrifice you know anything on the special teams but I always tried to get our backups all of our special teams with the majority of them maybe you have one or two special guys that can block a kick or uh, one or two special guys return a kick, what have you. But I like the rest of the starters on special teams to be backup guys for this reason. 
One, you know they're going to be excited about playing, so they're going to be fresh. They'll really pay attention during the week to the schemes and anything you want to go through because that's their opportunity to be a starter. They're a starter on special teams. And I've always had great success. And plus it gives them some experience. You can get guys in the game. You get some experience. And you can do that. If you recruit well enough, at least in college, you can have good enough athletes on your special teams uh, to have great success. Now, you got a great returner or a great guy that can block a kick. Yeah, you put them on there. But And then, obviously, your best, you know, some of your biggest offensive linemen, you're going to put on a field goal unit. But I think it's, uh, you know, when you say, oh, you got to have your starters, offensive, defensive starters on your special teams to have good special teams unit, I don't believe so. I think if you recruit well enough, you're going to be able to put a lot of guys that, that are kind of maybe backups play a little bit on offense, defense, but it would be outstanding special teams players for you because they'll take great focus on it. Do you think that you should always have one of the fastest or quickest people returning the ball on special teams on kick return and punt return? Well, kick return, like nowadays, you're almost better off. Uh, fair If it's a high kick and it's inside the five, fair catch it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, even if you get a return past the 25, half the time they're going to be a penalty. You know, mm-hmm. somebody's going to call a holding penalty or what have you or blocking the back. Now, if you had a special, special return guy, I'm talking about somebody that he took one little crease, and we've had some of those, then you got to give him a chance to to return, you know, with any kick at all that's not deep in the end zone. So uh, I think unless you had that special guy, you're, gonna, you're seeing that just about everybody fair catch it because you'll take the ball on a 25. But if you return it to the 20 and then you got a holding penalty, now you're starting at the 10, that's – that's that's not very good. Now, on a punt return, I always thought that uh, it's hard. You, you see just as many punt returns return for a touchdown on a block call than you would on a hold-up return call. So I always liked, you know, on punt return to be more punt block oriented, try to block the kick, and always bring at least five. Right nowadays, you get all that you, you get these spread punt teams, Raquel, and they have like three big called shields. Mm-hmm. Then the second level, and then they have the snapper and six guys up front, and then and then the punter. Well, the difference is, here's a quick coaching tip. I don't know if you realize this. In the, in the NFL, they don't run that spread punt because in the NFL, only the end guys on the line of scrimmage can release before the ball is kicked. You know, the rest of the guys have to wait till the ball is kicked before they can go down and cover. Well, in college, they don't have that rule. Mm-hmm. So you can release the whole – group if you want as soon as the ball is snapped so that's why you go to you see colleges now go to and we went to it 20 years ago or 15 years ago to a spread punt where you basically have six guys that are bullets that are run down they have a man protection scheme and uh and three big shields to, to protect in the man scheme and all that well on the opposite side of that i like giving that pressure some pressure to the punter so i like to always you got five eligible receivers I like to bring five guys, cover their five eligibles, sometimes take three of those five that they're covering, which are the shields, and mug them up. Mm-hmm. And then it looks like you're bringing eight guys. So I would rather go for a block than a return for the majority of the time. What games are you looking forward to tuning into this weekend when you get the chance? Well, uh, if I get I mean, the scores I'm interested in looking at. <laughs> <laughs> Texas A&M at Ole Miss. I mean, I think that's got a chance to be in a great football game. 
And in Georgia, I mean, Georgia's been so dominant, maybe the most dominant defense we've seen in years and years. But, you know, Tennessee's got an ability to spread people out. It's at Tennessee. You know, it might give Georgia a little bit of scare. We see. Um, we'll see with that. That'll be a tough one. But then Purdue, they're flying pretty high. They go at Ohio State. I don't think they can pull the upset out two weeks in a row. But we uh, we shall see. We shall see with that thing going on there. But um, yeah, I think the the uh, Notre Dame is ranked ninth in the country at Virginia. Watch out! They're fighting Irish. You're going into a little thing with Virginia. That could be a little bit uh, scary for you going on uh, into into uh, Virginia for that one. They're good. They're really good offensively. Uh, and if you got a great quarterback, we always know, you know this, Raquel. Which they do, Brennan Armstrong. If you've got a great quarterback, you always got a chance. You always got a chance. And so Virginia does, and so they got a chance to to get that one there. And this week, ULM goes up against Arkansas State at home. It is Military Appreciation Week and Senior Night in Monroe, Louisiana. Give us a little bit of a preview into this Saturday's game. Yeah, Arkansas State's our our buddy Butch Jones was on my staff before. Former coach of Tennessee is in his first year at Arkansas State. Uh, they've lost a bunch of tough close games. I mean, a bunch of close games. I think they've had six one score games that they've lost. So uh, they're right there. But that's Butch's first year. Like it's our first year. It's our last home game, which we're trying to make a big deal. I think ever all college and high school coaches will tell you, you know, your seniors' last home game should be a big deal. Uh, you want them to have great memories, and so not only what happens during the game, but the things that you do for them during the week. But it's going to be an important day for for a lot of our seniors. It's going to be an important day for for our guys and our program and being the last home game and. And uh, we want them to be able to say, hey, we're the ones that helped turn this program around. You know, went from no wins to to uh, to having some success. So it's going to be a big weekend for our, for our team, but especially for our seniors. Well, it should be a fun weekend in Monroe, Louisiana, and hopefully we can come out with a win. We appreciate everyone listening to Hard Edge Football Podcast this week, and we love that you are still a part of our Hard Edge Football family. If you would like to request any topics, have any questions you would like us to answer, just send us a direct message on Instagram at Hard Edge Football or on Twitter at Hard Edge FB. Yes, thanks for listening, and thanks again to our great sponsor, iPacket, my good friend Paul Astor, Sevy Astor. Uh, Paul Astor is the absolute best. I say this all the time. If you're going to buy a car, you need to get iPacket. And Astor Motors, there's no better place in the state of West Virginia to buy a car at Astor than Astor Motors as well. So thanks to, to, to Paul and his family and iPacket. Thanks to you all for being loyal listeners. Hope you have a great weekend.